Shalom. This week's Parsha is Parsha Shmot, and we are the Toronto Torah Podcast, brought to you by Bet Midrash Zichron Do. Each week, we will offer a different view on the weekly Torah portion. One conversation a week, every week. And today, Rabbi Jared Anstanding and myself, Idan Rakovsky, will discuss the Prince of Egypt. So, Rabbi, Rabbi Dr. Chesi Cohen, uh, he taught me Tanakh at Yeshiva. He's a tremendous scholar. And he, he once told us that after he finished his uh, master's in, in Tanakh, in Bible studies, and he wanted to, you know, to write down his doctorate, his, his PhD. And he said, okay, what should be the topic that I'm writing my, my doctorate on? And he said, wait, who is the, is the most amazing character in the Tanakh? And he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, right? That's amazing. And he said, let's write my work on Moshe Rabbeinu. Those of you who have ever been to Bar-Ilan University, the library in Bar-Ilan University is one of the most scary places in Israel. It's uh, under the ground, no, no windows, it's a huge place, like a maze. And he said, I went down to see, okay, let's start. Let's, let's read some material to see what we can talk about, uh, what, what we can say about Moshe Rabbeinu. And he stood up <laughs> facing this huge wall filled with like many works, articles, books, stories, movies about Moshe Rabbeinu. And he said, okay, maybe the fact that I chose him because he's the greatest character in Jewish history, uh, maybe I was not the only one who thought it. So... Let's talk about, let's talk today about what made Moshe Rabbeinu this enormous, enormous character that he is today. Hello, Idan. Hello, Rev. Jared. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Idan. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Very excited to start a new episode in a new podcast and a new parsha and a new book. It's very exciting, yeah. So, so we're going to reread this week Parashat Shemot. So it opens up after uh, the, the end of the preceding generation. Yaakov is no longer here. Yosef, all of the brothers, that entire generation is now gone. And there's a new Paro. And this new Paro is very concerned about the, about Benetio. He's very concerned about these Israelites. And he decides, you know what? We need to enslave B'nai Israel. We will enslave the Israelites. We will enslave the Hebrews. And we can control them and make sure they don't rise up against us. As much as they're trying to oppress B'nai Israel, they continue, B'nai Israel, the Hebrews, Israelites, continue to grow, to multiply. And he says, okay, new plan. The new plan, we're going to continue with the slavery. But we are also going to now have all of the boy that's born is going to be killed. And nonetheless, despite what he says, the midwives, the Israelite midwives, don't listen to that. And they don't kill the boys. So Paro makes another plan. It's an extension of this previous one. All the boys are going to be thrown into the Nile. So even if they survive the childbirth experience, everyone, all of the boys should be thrown into the water. And that's this general, that's the scene that's been set now. Then we learn about Moshe's birth. A boy is born. Woman gives birth to a boy, a Hebrew boy. And she bundles him up, she puts him in a basket, and she sends him down the Nile, down the river. And lo and behold, this baby in the basket comes to none other than Bat Paro, the daughter of Pharaoh, who saves him and raises him as her own. This boy, of course, ends up being Moshe. 
Moshe grows up in Paro's palace. And one day he's going out, he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating an Israelite. And he saves the Israelite from this Egyptian taskmaster. And then another time he goes out and he sees two Israelites fighting and he tries to stop them. And they make these accusations. Oh, are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? And Moshe realizes, oh my gosh, people know about how I killed this Egyptian. I've got to go. And so he flees and he runs away. He leaves Egypt, goes to Midian. And it's in Midian that he meets Yitro. He meets his future wife, Tsipora. He becomes a shepherd there. He's shepherding, he's working in Midian. And then he has this, uh, he's out one day shepherding with his sheep and he sees the famous episode that we're probably familiar with. There's this burning bush that's not being consumed. It's burning, but it's not, you know, disintegrating in the fire. And that's where he has this powerful experience with God where Hashem appears to him and basically tells Moshe, you are now going to go to Egypt. You are going to tell Paro to let the Israelites go. Moshe goes, there's an argument back and forth. I don't want to go, send someone else. But ultimately, Moshe, Hashem is Hashem. Hashem says, you're going. And Moshe sort of has no choice and he goes in the end. Our, our Parsha ends with Moshe and Aaron first approaching Paro, making an initial demand that Paro releases them. And of course, Paro doesn't, is not happy with that. And not only is he not happy with that, he, he increases the workload on B'nai Israel. Moshe then turning back to, to Hashem and saying, well, what are you doing? You've made, everything is made worse now. Here, you're telling me to go talk to Paro to demand freedom and everything has gotten worse. And that's where our Parsha ends with Moshe sort of not sure what to do, complaining to Hashem, how am I supposed to make this? How am I supposed to get B'nai Israel out of Egypt? And things are only getting worse. Jared, for this wonderful summary of the Parsha. But you know, first of all, I want to ask, just like in our opening, what made Moshe Rabbeinu this enormous character in Jewish history? If, if we compare the massive amount of psukim, of verses that the Torah dedicates to Moshe Rabbeinu, to his story, to his birth story, to what happened to him during his lifetime and to his death, he's, he's, he's uncomparable. Uncomparable, not to the Avot, not to Avraham, Yitzchak or Yaakov, maybe to David Amelech, but the quantity, the amount of massive psukim and stories that the Torah describes makes him number one, not only in the Tanakh, but also in the Jewish history. Now, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu is, is a character, is a, is a role model, right? Not only in, in Jewish world, but also, also outside. Just to add to your point, not from Parshat Shmot, but from Parshat Va'era, when Moshe and Hashem are sort of arguing back and forth about how he's going to save them, Hashem says, Va'era el Avraham Yitzchak ve'el Yaakov, bekel shakai, yushmi Hashem lo nadati lahem. Whatever that verse means, Hashem is saying, whatever my relationship was with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov was different than what I'm doing right now. So I'm just to, to bolster your right. point, Hashem himself is acknowledging the fact that Moshe is in a different category, different world than Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were. It's a different world, and uh, there is one thing also, though, uh, the Torah describes to so much details that uh, it hadn't done that with any of the Avot. And this is the, the birth story of Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, look, look at chapter 2, right? What, everything that happened there was with the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu, who we don't know yet he's Moshe, we don't know who she is, right? There's this story that starts with two anonymous people who married... And this gzerah, this decree by Paro to, to, to kill every boy. Why would the Torah discuss so much about this story? If we can try to, to give a general rule that is right 
throughout the Tanakh, which is very, very hard to do it, is that the Tanakh tries to stay simple. If there is unnecessary details to a story, he would not tell them. He would try to shrink the story to the smallest size possible so we can understand the meaning of it. So we must ask ourselves, why would the Torah describe in such details the story of the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu? So if we look at the story and we read closely the Psukim, we will notice that the main character in this story is surprisingly not Moshe Rabbeinu, right? It's not the baby. So who it is? It's your three women. They are the main character. There is the mother of the baby. There is the sister of the baby, Miriam. And we have the daughter of Paro. We have Bat Paro. Those three women, they are the main characters. Why? How can we see that? Let's talk first of all about the mother. The story opens with the description of how did she make this basket that the baby was put into. And the Pasuk says, When she could not hide him no longer, She got a wicker basket for him and cocked it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the baby inside and she put it on the bank of the Nile. Now, why do we need all this description about what exactly were the materials that this basket is made from? Now, assuming that the Torah is not in the instructions for how to build up a very strong and solid basket, why do we need it? I think more than it tells us about the baby or the basket, it tells us about the mother. This mother is a talented mother. She does everything she can to protect her son. She does everything she can to keep him safe and sound. She's not throwing him into the water, right? We have this, this picture from uh, the prince of Egypt. If you remember the, the scene of uh, the, the basket with the baby inside, is with, with all that, right? With the, with the crocodiles and the, the sheep and the, I think there was the hippos and they're trying to eat it and to bite it and God saves it. He was not on the water. He was put on the bank of the Nile, not in the water. She covered it very, very much, very good. So he would not get wet, but he was not thrown to the water. He was put aside after three months where she could not keep him anymore because maybe because he cried and, and, and she could not keep him anymore. He was a three month baby, he cries very, very loud. It's not like, a, you know, you have babies. So it's a story of a mother who's very Rahmanit. She's merciful. She, she wants to, to save her baby and to keep him safe and sound. Let's go to Bat Paro. I think that we need to read her story in a different music as well. Because it, it happens a lot of time when we read stories in the Tanakh. We already know what's going to be the ending. We know the happy ending. We know what's going to happen. So we read within our minds. We, we, we assume what's going to happen. But we should not read it like that. Because when the Torah says... The daughter of Pharaoh, right? She came down to the Nile with her, with her maidens and she walked with them, along with them. She saw, she notices this, this basket. She, again, she notices outside. Of, it's not in the water, right? It's outside the water. She sends her maid or her hand. The Parshanim discuss it. Well, we will discuss it in a minute as well. And she takes it. So... Why should we as the readers assume that she's different than her father? I mean, we just read that every son should be killed. Why should we assume that she would be merciful? Like, it's a drama. It's dramatic music. It's tension. What would she do? Would she throw him back to the sea, to the, to, to the Nile? Or will she be, be merciful? And yes, it's a surprise. She opened it, this basket, and she sees this, this baby. He cries. She's merciful. 
She took pity on him. Vatomer this must be a Hebrew child. Now, I think we should read the story different. First of all, she's merciful. And we thought, we would have thought she would be like her father. More than that. She notices he is Hebrew. She notices who She's a rebel, right? I mean, she disagrees with her father. She notices he's Hebrew, and yet she puts mercy on him. And, and she disagrees with her father, and profoundly. And I think, uh, I don't know, maybe that's the first story of this uh, righteous Gentile, like we know from, from the Holocaust, those Gentiles who, who uh, saved Jews. Maybe she was the first one. She's, I think she, the, the, the character of Pat Parov, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, is, is a tremendous character. She's, she's rebelling against her, her own father and against the, the decree of her father. And we have the sister. She's very manipulative. Why? She's very clever. It says, right? The Torah says she stood in distance from where this basket was, so she, she keep an eye on it. She, she stood very far. Two sentences afterwards, when she sees and she notices that the daughter of Pharaoh is taking the basket and she's, she's taking the baby, she's suddenly very close to her. The story is like, like in a cartoon movie, right? Where, where one of the characters is very, very distant. One second afterwards, he's right next to you. She got so closer, she saw what Batporo is doing. She's very clever and she's very brave. She doesn't know that Batporo is going to put mercy on this baby. She risks her life and she's talking to the daughter of the king and she's trying to tell her, oh, you know what? Give it to me. He's in Hebrew. He's in Hebrew, baby. Give him to me. I will look for a midwife for him. And she, that's that, that what happens. She takes the baby and she returns him back to his mother, to her mother. Eventually, thanks to Miriam, Thanks to this sister and this covenant or this agreement that she had with the daughter of Pharaoh, she managed to return the baby back home safe and sound, right? So we could finish the story here. That's an happy ending to the story, right? So I think that the opening story of the birth of Moshe doesn't necessarily focus on Moshe, but focuses on those three characters in the beginning of his life and everything that will happen to Moshe, we should read uh, in this context. Done for that characterization and that so exploration of this the, the women who save Moshe's life here. And picking up from where you left off, I want to take a moment to just explore this person of Moshe. So Moshe, he grows up, he, he was born of a of, of a Bat Levi, where he's born as a Ben Yisrael, as an Ivri, but he's adopted by Bat Paro. But he's nursed by his Hebrew mother, but he's raised as an Egyptian. He, Moshe is a complicated person with a lot of different pieces inside of him, a lot of different aspects to his personality. I think that, that even comes out very strongly in his name. Right? We, we, we know Moshe as Moshe, but what does Moshe mean? What does Moshe mean? The Torah tells us, the boy grew up, went now, they brought him to Bat Paro, to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he's now her son, and she calls him Moshe. First of all, who, who is the she here? Is it Bat Paro? Is it the daughter of Paro who calls him Moshe? Is it his mother who calls him Moshe? It's not immediately clear from the Torah. Vatomer, and she says, because I have drawn him out of the water. So you would look and you see, okay, the name is Moshe, Mishitihu. So you can see there might be a relationship between his name is Moshe, Mishitihu. I drew him from the water. That's Moshe. So you could read this and you could think, oh, his name is a Hebrew name. 
the Nitziv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, has a comment here, and he, he points out that in ancient Egyptian, those sounds, the Masha, Masa, is a suffix, like Ramses, the Masa there, M-S sound is a suffix to mean born of or, or son of. So Ramses would be the son of or born of Ra, Amos would be the son of or born of, of Ah. So he's this child born in the water. She doesn't know who the father is. She just says, he's Yelet, he's the son, Moshe, Moshe. It's, it's an ancient Egyptian way for her to just say, this is who he is. He's a, he's a boy, he's a son. So we see even in the name of Moshe, there are these two aspects of it. It could be like the Torah presents it, giving it this Hebrew, Moshe is a Hebrew name, but it could also be, as the Nitziv points out, it's an Egyptian name. And within Moshe's name, you have this identity, this conflict of identity. And this continues, of course, if we continue reading the story. In the next pasuk, Moshe goes out, and he goes out to see his brothers. And it's not clear when you first read that, who are his brothers? Is he going out to see his brothers, the Hebrews, who are servants, the slaves? Or is he going out to see his brothers, the Egyptians? And as the story continues, he sees them suffering, and he sees an Egyptian hitting one of the Hebrews of his brothers. And it seems that at this point, Moshe is starting to ally himself with the underdogs, and he puts himself in the camp of the Hebrews, of the Ivrim, and then, then he kills the Mitzri. But until that moment... Moshe maybe growing up in the palace, he has this dual identity. Is he a Hebrew? Is he an Egyptian? Who is he? How is he? Moshe is complex. Moshe has different aspects to his personality. You know, I think that one, one of, the, of the things that makes it uh, even more complex is the fact that Akadosh Baruch Hu, God is absent from, from the story. He, he just, he's not there. Also, almost like in Megillat Esther, right? It's uh, interesting to think about the way that Akadosh uh, Baruch Hu is, uh, is behind the scenes. But it's very interesting because if we dive into the Parshanim, into the commentators, there is a fundamental question that they ask. Is this the story of the birth of Moshe? Or the story of the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu? If we open the Ibn Ezra, for example, or, or the Rashbam, which uh, they're in the same school of thought. And we we'll put on the contrary, we'll put Rashi, right? Uh, Rashbam's grandfather. We'll see that both of the schools, they take it just to such different places. For example, on the first pasuk, this person from Beit Levi, from the house of Levi, took the, the, the daughter of Levi. The Ibn Ezra focuses in his, in his parshanut, what does it mean, Vayelech? Why do we need Vayelech? Why do we need this verb of, of he went, of walking, of going somewhere? So he says, on Derech Pshat, and the way of Pshat is because there were men, the Jews were settled and lived in many cities back then in Egypt. He did not find a wife where he lived, so he moved to a different city to look for a wife. But look what Rashi says on this Pasuk. Rashi takes this Pasuk, and, and what, what bothers him is such a, is a, it's a different thing. What bothers Rashi is, what is Bat Levi? I mean, we could understand that Bat Levi, what is Bat Levi? Is a daughter of the Levi tribe, right? Of the Shevet Levi. No, Rashi needs to say, according to a Medrash, but Levi, the daughter of Levi, is actually indeed literally the daughter, the daughter of Levi. The Levi that we know from one of the 12 tribes. And she was born on when Levi came uh, with his brothers to Egypt, back then when they went to Yosef. And he quotes this Midrash that says that she was so old 
when she gave birth to Moshe, she was 130, right? I remember, right? You, you said something about that in, uh, in the podcast of Parshat Vayigash, right? About uh, this Yeah, miracle. yeah, in, in Parshat Vayigash, yeah. Ibn Ezra was uh, very upset by this idea. Yeah, that, and it's very interesting that Rashi, he expands and enriches the story with this Midrashim who takes it and turns it from the very human story to something much more divine. That means that if a Kaddish Baruch doesn't appear explicitly in the story, Rashi will add him to the story. If you read the story according to Rashi, it's such a spiritual, miraculous, divine story that a Kaddish Baruch Hu is everywhere. There is another example for that. Let's give another example. When it says in Pasuk 3, in Pasuk Gimel, She could not hide him anymore. She took this basket. And we said she covered it with its bitumen and pitch. Now the Rajbam says, and again, we see the Rajbam here in the same school, the school of thought, like, like the Ibn Ezra, the Rajbam would say, why did you cover outside the outer, the external part of this basket with the pitch? From the outside, the external part, why? So it would not get wet. The water would not get inside. Very simple. But what Rashi says, and again, he quotes another Midrash. He says, and I quote, Kedei she'oto tzadik lo yariach reach rashel zefet. So this tzaddik, this righteous person, this righteous man who is now inside this basket, he would not smell this bad smell of the zephyr, this bad smell of the peach. This is why she covered it outside. Now, how does Rashi read this story? He doesn't read this story as a baby inside the basket. He reads this story when he already knows who this baby is going to be, right? He reads the story as a story of Moshe Rabbeinu, not the story of the birth of this baby Moshe. He reads the story at the birth of Moshe Rabbeinu. Another example. Look, we said afterwards that when, when the daughter of Pharaoh, when she's on the, on the Nile, which means what? Ama, we know, can be a maid, right? Might be her maid servant. And it's not for the, the, the daughter of the king to go into the bushes and to, to take out this basket. So she sent her, her maid. But before we look at the Rashbam, let's look at Rashi. Rashi says that Amata might be the hand. The hand just stretched so long until she, she, she could get this, this basket and bring it to her so she could open it. But look at the Rashbam. <laughs> the Rashbam says one word. Amata, shifchata. Amata is the maidservant, her maid. That's all. Don't bring the Midrash. Now, he, he, was, he was a grandson of Rashi. Of course he knew that's the Midrash. He decided not to bring it in. I think under those differences of the Parshanut, the different Parshanuyot, the different commentators, I think lies something different. How should we, the learners, the readers, how should we read the story? Is it a story of a divine birth of this messenger from Akadosh Baruch this messenger from God, Moshe Rabbeinu, who's gonna save Am Israel and almost gonna let him into Eretz Israel? Should we read the story how we know this person's gonna be? Or is it a human story about a baby, about the different characters that surround him, about his mother, the daughter of Pharaoh, his sister, the human story of mercy, human story of saving. And I think we can, there is, there is different uh, perspectives, different consequences from choosing one over the other. How should someone become Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, were you born? Were Moshe Rabbeinu born Moshe Rabbeinu? Like Rashi read the story? Was this such a divine story, such a miraculous story that Moshe Rabbeinu is so special when he was born? Or, or is, it, is it just a normal baby that would choose to become Moshe Rabbeinu, that would choose to become the leader? So, does a leader born a leader? Or 
Maybe not. Maybe we should read it like the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra. Moshe Rabbeinu was not born Moshe Rabbeinu. He was born Moshe, and then he became the Rabbeinu. Then he became Moshe Rabbeinu. Idan, you just asked, is a leader made or is a leader born? And I think there's a lot we can say about this. We think about Moshe and we compare Moshe to Avraham. Something that, that you, you've pointed out before is that Avraham is Avhamon Goyim. Avraham is the father of monotheism, of uh, the religions in general, of, of people, right? He is, he is there fighting for everyone. Everyone has a chance. It's the father of all of everyone. But Moshe's, Moshe is Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabbeinu. Moshe is our teacher, our leader. Abraham <laughs> is for everyone. Moshe is the, the rabbi. Moshe is the leader of B'nai Israel. He's the leader of the, of the Jewish people, that, so to speak. That, that, that's how we, we were called back then in Germany, right? The dat mo, B'nai Dat Moshe. I think that was Moshe Mandelson who said, we're B'nai Dat Moshe, right? Or they, we're not Dat Avraham, we're Dat Moshe. And I think it's interesting, if you look at uh, Rav David Svi Hoffman and his commentary, what he says about how is it, what is it, how is it that Moshe could, could kill the Egyptian here? So he quotes a couple different things. There's a Midrash that says that maybe this Egyptian was actually Chayav Mita. Maybe he was actually was supposed to get the death penalty because he was, uh, he was trying to uh, do something to the, to the, to the Jewish person. Uh, he gives a, there's a Midrash there. But he says at the end, he says, Kol toshel Moshe kan, all of Moshe's intention here, lo rak ela la'amod liyamin achiv ha'meuna. He was there to stand at the right hand of his brother who was oppressed. Moshe is there for his brothers. We look at Avraham, and Avraham is trying to defend people in general. And he's the Avhamon Goyim. He is the father of all these nations. He is trying to defend people. He is standing for everyone. But when we see Moshe, Moshe's not for everyone. If Moshe was for everyone, maybe he wouldn't have been opposing slavery. So when Moshe sees the slavery here and Moshe sees his Hebrew brother being abused by this Egyptian, he stands up. The way Rav David Svi Hoffman explains, Kol kavanato shel Moshe kan lo haita ela Moshe here was trying to stand up at the right side of his abused brother. Moshe was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe was the leader of B'nai Israel. He is our leader. Avram stands as the leader of everyone, of monotheism for everyone, but Moshe is our leader. Moshe understood that his role was to go to the mat, not for people in general, was to go to the mat for B'nai Israel. He's protecting us, whereas Avram was for the klal, was for the general group. Yet, after Chet HaEgel, and especially as beautiful if you include the, uh, the, the rabbinic read, the way they understand that Hashem told Moshe, I wanna, I'm going to destroy the people. I'm going to start again from you. And Moshe says, no, you can't build them from me. You have to be Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. You need, you need the avot here also. A nation that's built only from Moshe, and this is my little read into this, this, this rabbinic understanding here, but a nation that's built only from Moshe can't stand. You need to have Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. You also need to have the, 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 the general universal aspect of this. Yes, there's the universal with this part of Moshe who's sticking up for and standing up for specifically for, for B'nai Yisrael, for Am Yisrael, for, for the Jewish people, but you can't divorce that entirely from the universalistic aspects of the Avot. And I think that comes out in Moshe's defense of the people and why he maintains that, no, you need to keep this people with this connection to Abraham.
it's beautiful, right? The, the, just, just to finish, the, the Midrash says that Kadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, Mount Sinai, Lo nitna lecha Torah ele bizchut Avraham. The Midrash in Shemot Rabbah, it says, Moshe, you deserve to give the Torah to the Israel. Why? Because of Avraham. That means yes, indeed. Moshe might be the, the enormous, and he is, the enormous character that he is in the Tanakh. He's the most described with the largest number of psukim in the Tanakh. But yes, there is, there is the shadow of Avraham Avinu in this. And Moshe is Rabbein, as he said, and Avraham is Avinu. That, that's a wonderful start for this wonderful parsha and this wonderful book. Thank you very much, Jared Einstein. Thank you very, very much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Idan Rakovsky. Good job, everyone. Good job. That's all for today. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe, share, and like this podcast. And follow us, Beit Midrash Zichron Dove, on Facebook and Instagram. We'll be back next week with a new conversation on a new Parsha. Thank you and goodbye.